Paying someone feels so simple nowadays, right? Whenever I go out to dinner with friends and we need to split the check, they just tell me to Venmo them or PayPal them or Zell them. Okay, nobody's ever actually told me to Zell them, but you get my point. And even with the old, slow systems, things seem to be faster. So when I get a check, my bank lets me snap a photo of it and deposit it right from my phone. But even though the transaction kind of feels instant with the check, it's still anything but. When I add that check to my account, it says pending. And the bank tells me to hang on to that check for a couple days in case something goes wrong. It turns out that behind the scenes, there's a vast system of machinery working to make sure the little bits and bytes of data on my phone represent real transactions. That everyone actually has the money they say they have. That the money is getting safely from bank A to bank B. And, you know, that whole process can actually take a while to complete. So in recent years there's been a new obsession with something called real-time payments. It's the idea that all of this should be able to happen, the movement of the money, the confirmation that person A has the funds, the deposit into person B's account, clearing between one bank and another. It should all happen instantaneously. Today, I talk to an expert who knows more about the hard work going into making payments faster. We talk about how checks used to clear before, how they do so today, what's new and innovative in real-time payments, and what that means for the future. I'm Matt Longacre, and this is Simply Stated. All right, so uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? I'm Joey Samowitz. I'm a senior analyst with CSBS uh, covering policy development. All right. So today we are going to talk about payments, which is um, actually something I know very, very little about. So this is really exciting for me. And um, I want to get an understanding of what's going on in the world of payments. Everyone seems obsessed with faster payments. Um, And I have no idea exactly what that means as far as pace is concerned. Um, so I think the best place to start is to go back maybe 30, 40 years and kind of bring us into the present so I get a better understanding. So walk me back to the days of old. Uh, let's say I'm a visitor from San Francisco and I've flown in to D.C. Um, and I write a check for dinner at a local restaurant, as you want to do um, anytime uh, before the 90s. You might do that. And uh, the restaurant owner brings the check to their bank, uh, what happens next? Where does that check go? Uh, when did they get paid? Well, that check will go go through a process. Essentially, it it it's a lot simpler now, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But essentially, banks are were trucking around paper checks, so they would have staff that would get them organized. Those checks would go to a central processing center. Uh, be sorted again, hustled onto airplanes, and flown across the country, um, in which case they would end up in a central clearing unit, such as a Federal Reserve Bank, and that would then debit your bank's account and credit the payees. Uh, so when you think of sort of how antiquated this process was, 
you had staff taking time um, to to manually sort these checks, which I think today sort of seems so unfathomable um, from you know an operations standpoint for an institution. So if I'm imagining this here, so uh, the check goes to the DC bank. Uh, they take it. Staff in the back manually sort those checks into where they're going to be sent. Then they get on a truck and start moving. Uh, I presume that at some point in time these these checks change hands somewhere to make the shipping more efficient. So trucks backing up into each other and throwing bags of checks at each other. And then, okay, so then they then they potentially fly them. So if it's in San Francisco, they're probably flying the check. So they fly the check to San Francisco, goes to the Fed, Federal Reserve in San Francisco, or I, I guess, right? Right. If, if you're in another city, I guess it would have to be moved to the appropriate Fed clearinghouse then. And then they sort them there, and then... They and clear then they, them. Right. They so. essentially they finish off the transaction there. But um, when you think of the time from A to B, uh, it was just it was different times. Yeah. And then and then what so does somebody call up the bank and say that was all good? Or is there some sort of, you know, uh, some sort of uh, method of accounting there? Yeah, I mean there's it was communication between banks. I mean when you when you think back to how technology was at the time. You're talking fax machines and and different sorts of communication. I mean the yep. the landline telephone, which is is a bit rare today for a lot of us. But yeah, okay. So it could be several weeks. So if if the check bounced, I would have already been back in San Francisco at that point, right? And in, in theory, yes. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Depends on how long my vacation was, <laughs> right? Today, how different are things really? Um, obviously, um, you know, in my mind, I imagine like a check shows up at my house and I pull out my smartphone and I take a picture of it. But I've noticed that uh, when I do that, it still says pending in my account for a while. So um, something's still going on in the background. So how different are things today? Right. Well, and, that, and that's where the idea of the need for faster payments comes in, right? That there's still this delay and we'll get sort of more into the technical aspects a bit later on how these settlement systems work. But as far as you talk about taking a photo of your check and sending it in, I think it's sort of a pretty interesting story about sort of what caused that to change. And that major turning point with paper checks sort of going by the wayside was actually September 11th. And you know, like I mentioned with the planes flying these checks all across the country, um, just to give you an idea, on any given day prior to September 11th, you had $6 billion in checks up in the air um, above you, hmm. just getting flown from place to place. And after September 11th, when the FAA grounded all these planes, you know, you're talking about a major operational gap in this check cashing system uh, that, that had to be you know, remedied. So I want to say, I, I think I, I want to say I read this in Business Insider that after September 11th, you know, when they, the planes were able to get back online, there was $46 billion wow. um, in the air right afterwards. And so um, th- this sort of disruption in the financial system was eventually solved with the check clearing for the 21st Century Act, which um, today you'll hear referred to as Check 21. 
And so that allowed for you to send these digital images or checks and kind of solved that whole paper check issue. And I mean, I think today you'd be hard pressed to find a transaction where you're actually using paper check. It's sort of a once or twice a year type mm-hmm. thing for a lot of us, um, whereas before it was commonplace. And so I would imagine that, you know, um, most banks, maybe all banks, no longer uh, physically move checks at all anymore then. Right. Right. Yeah, it would. It would. Uh, I mean, it, it's possible for maybe a small institution, but this is just really, you know, gone, gone out of favor. So the the traveling time is gone, but there's still something else that's going on where the check clears. And can you help me understand exactly what it means when you say that it clears? Because I I can't imagine uh, a bank um, passing two banks passing money back and forth as checks are written over and over and over again, they probably wait a certain period of time. Right. I mean, when when you think of the payment system in the United States, it's just so incredibly complicated. Mm-hmm. But I'd say if you, bail, if you uh, boil down how check images are cleared, you've got four core ways. So one, local clearinghouse exchange that's operating you know, that transaction, a correspondent institution, so you hear about that, um, a lot of times if money's going internationally, you're going to have a correspondent institution that's sort of facilitating the two institutions. You've got a direct connection between the one institution here and say it was a country like Spain, one in Spain, that then has the connection to the other bank. Um, and then the third way would be, like I referenced before, Federal Reserve Bank um, serving as that intermediary there. And then four, directly to the check writer's bank. Again, that's just a separate connection. So there's all these certain ways that it can happen. Um, but yeah, um, needless to say, as a consumer, you're not so concerned about what's going on behind the scenes there. Mm-hmm. You just want to see your money that you sent go from point A to point B or the money that you're receiving um, pop up in your account. That makes sense. And so I guess that's where we're, we're getting to here is everyone's talking about real-time payments. What do we mean when we say real-time payments? How is it different from what's going on right now? Right, so here's where we can get into the technical aspect of this. So the bulk of the current payment systems in the United States are deferred net settlement systems. Uh, so like you referenced earlier, you know, there's settlement at certain times of day, right? So final settlement's going to occur between participating banks at the end of a predefined cycle. Um, now, there's risk in that type of system. You know, if we're going to do this real-time payment system um, and what the Federal Reserve has called FedNow and in, mm-hmm. uh, in the proposal that they've come out with, it would, instead of being this deferred net settlement system with sort of all these needs for risk mitigants, you'd have a faster payment system that would be under what's called a real-time gross settlement system. So the final funds would be made available to end users um, only after interbank settlement occurs, but that interbank settlement would be occurring instantly. And then the main issue that comes up with this type of system is just managing the liquidity of making sure those transactions can occur instantaneously. So uh, when you say uh, net deferred settlement system, if I imagine a scenario for us, if I'm a bank and you're a bank, if we can personify banks for a second, and one of my customers uh gets a check and I ask for $10,000 from you and then you ask for $1,000 from me because you have a customer that brings in a check from my institution and then I do another 10000 and then you do 5000 So 
at the end of the day, we bundle those all together and go, okay, so um, I need 20000 from you and you need 6000 from me. So instead, you're just going to send me $14,000. So that's net deferred. Yes, okay. that's spot on. Okay. And so with the real-time system is basically using the power of the internet just to make it happen instantaneously. Yes, exactly. Yes. And so, so if I'm understanding you, then the problem sounds like um, what if the bank doesn't have the money? Yes. Okay. And uh, you, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's essentially this liquidity issue that you talk about. And when you think of you know, why the Federal Reserve... In many ways, they're best equipped to handle that problem. Mm-hmm. Got it. Are there any real-time payment systems that already exist? Yes. Yeah, so this this real-time payments platform from the clearinghouse um, and. And so that's a lot of what you'll hear about in the current debate over this issue is kind of why should the Federal Reserve be involved when there's already this private sector system. Mm -hmm. Um, But the way the clearinghouse system works right now, you know, to understand it from a consumer perspective is if you are carrying out, say you want to pay your bills or need to pay a bill, um, the payee or the institution you owe money to would, you know, sort of ping your bank account in a way and then you had would be able to approve the transaction um, and it would just happen instantly. And so when, when you think of kind of the practical implications of that, uh, you're sort of mitigating the risk of an overdraft fee in an account potentially because mm-hmm. the, the power is remaining with you as the consumer um, to sort of give that final check and it just goes instantly. Whereas if you're paying a bill today... Um, you're talking about you sort of need to schedule it in advance and it's still going to take three days for that money to move and just the the complication in the process. Okay. So so there already are some systems built. Um, then why is the Fed working on their own system, this Fed now? Right. Well, so the, the Federal Reserve historically has kind of helped be catalysts for faster payments modernization. Kind of like when we talked about the check clearing earlier – and ACH, and Congress has always affirmed its commitment to that dual role for the Federal Reserve in the banking system, an operator as the payment in the payment system. Um, but as far as you know, sort of the overarching argument that the Federal Reserve uses, and frankly that we support, is that the United States financial system is so complicated. You're talking about more than ten thousand financial institutions, uh, banks, and credit unions that are involved in the United States and the clearinghouse right now it's reached about 50% of institutions and they're mostly the large banks Mm -hmm. right Um, and so you know who has the capability of actually reaching all of these institutions with the Federal Reserve they already have the relationship with all of them Um, and in order to get ubiquity in this type of system you know we need everybody involved. So this is one of those classic debates between um, leaving something completely privatized or creating an option um, that allows more access to more people um, in a public way through the Fed, which is semi-public in a a certain way, but essentially creating another system that can reach uh, smaller banks, community banks, more institutions, and make this uh, 
it, faster payments just everywhere. Right. Exactly. Um, and and certainly the clearinghouse effort is important. And what I would say is that as far as you know, decreasing concentration in any you know aspect of the financial system, it's critical. If you think of one of the say the clearinghouse system or the Federal Reserve somehow went down, you have that backup that's um, still able to facilitate these transactions. Uh, you already mentioned that one of the benefits for a consumer is clearing is immediate, so we don't run into that problem anymore, which is I write a check to my plumber and he sits it on his desk for three months and then checks it at a random time or brings it to his bank and then I, you know, I see the charge and I've forgotten what it is and I have to go look at the picture. So now a consumer has that sort of benefit of, of being able to make the money move immediately. Um, are there any other benefits for consumers for this, for FedNow? Yeah, you know, I always think of gig uh, workers and like the modern economy that's become so common. You think of like an Uber driver mm-hmm. um, or, you know, some of these tasks that they're kind of working at when they want to work, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure they'd also like to get paid instantly. So yeah. in a job like that, you can envision them getting paid out as the job's happening, getting their portion of whatever they're owed almost instantaneously. Mm-hmm. I think that is sort of a longer-term goal for faster payments. But um, when you think of the idea of people getting their pay so quickly like that, it could limit the need for some of these short-term credit products um, when you think of like payday loans. And again, this is sort of further out conceptually, um, but that's that's what it has the potential to do. Okay. And how has the industry responded to uh, FedNow? Are incumbents unhappy? Are banks happy, unhappy? Fintech groups happy, unhappy? Right. Um, so good question. I think, you know, as, as you might assume, the clearinghouse wasn't too excited for the Federal Reserve to get involved in this, especially given the amount of investment that the clearinghouse has put into creating their own system here. Um, and now an, I'd say another notable uh, dissenter on the Federal Reserve getting involved was Vice Chair for Supervision Randy Quarles. He was the lone dissenting vote on the Federal Reserve Board. Um, now, as far as those who support it, um, aside from us at CSBS, mm-hmm. uh, getting the Federal Reserve involved, retailers wanted the Federal Reserve involved as well. Um, ICBA, just from the idea of smaller institutions, um, the clearinghouse is run by a consortium of the largest banks. I think they just, you know, when you have concerns on competition and the competitiveness of smaller banks, they like the idea of the Federal Reserve being involved as well. And again, reaching those 10,000 institutions. And then the technology companies, um, interestingly enough, were supportive of the Federal Reserve being involved as well. All right. And so um, I also understand the Fed, the Fed, when they were developing FedNow or I guess they're still developing it, um, had an industry group that they had together. Um, was it a faster payments task force? Yes. Um, so, so there was a lot of work that sort of went up into the run-up of, again, the clearinghouse releasing what they've released and now the Federal Reserve coming out with their own proposal. Um, we're talking a decade in the making of legwork here. And and, you know, anytime you have major innovation in the financial system, that it's going to be extraordinarily complicated. Yeah. And that's why I think Fed now um, doesn't anticipate a launch for at least four years. Oh, okay. So it sounds like that there was a lot of legwork done with lots of folks um, in the industry and otherwise, and there's still a little more to do. Yes, certainly. 
Um, so thank you so much, Joey. This was really, really helpful. Uh, I really appreciate you sitting down and taking the time. Yeah, Matt, thank you. I think this is a pretty interesting topic, and uh, hopefully this sort of got some of our listeners engaged on something that I think will be pretty defining for the financial system. I'm really excited for the day that uh, I don't see pending in my bank account anymore. So thanks so much. That's a wrap for today. If you're interested in hearing more about financial regulation, including more coverage of the nation's payment system from all sorts of angles, please be sure to subscribe. In the coming weeks, we'll be chatting with experts on mobile payments, the balance between banking and commerce, what happened in the repo market last fall, the implications of the court case Madden v. Midland, and so much more. You can subscribe by searching for Simply Stated on your favorite podcast app or going to csbs.org, heading to the newsroom, and subscribing to get our podcast straight to your email inbox. I'm Matt Longacre, and this was Simply Stated. Simply Stated.